Hello everyone and welcome to Scanline Status for September 9th, 2016. The day of the Dreamcast. I'm Colin Detmar. And uh, I'm Ben Uncle. And we're here to celebrate the Dreamcast. Ben, I held a Dreamcast controller once in my life. And I was like, this thing feels weird. How do you feel about the Dreamcast? Um, well, I never actually owned one myself, but I spent a lot of time in middle school playing it at people's houses, like uh, Power Stone 2 especially, we played a ton of that, and mm. I, maybe memory is just making it look a lot better than it actually is, but I remember that being a very colorful sort of four-person brawler that was different enough from Smash that it felt like its own unique thing that we kept coming back to. And uh, aside from that, I've kind of seen it lately as this place where all sorts of really weird curios came out from. Like, uh, there's a... I've, I've been watching the um, Shenmue Endurance run on Giant Bomb, and that's just kind of an amazing pre-Deadly uh, Premonition sort of thing where all of the voice actors don't really seem to know what they're... They don't seem to exactly comprehend how a human would speak. And, uh... Just seeing them run around asking people where the sailors are and all those different things. And, uh... Killing time in between interrogations by... Playing one of those uh, capsule machines and darts and things like that i have had the strangest experience watching that that uh that endurance run because as as people who interact with me in you know like through text a lot know i'm very very fond of saying i see like just standing on its own i see when i don't really have much and like you know sometimes there are different meanings to how i use i see but i use it by itself a lot Mm -hmm. and like, I've said the words I see before. Theoretically, when I type I see, I should hear my own voice saying it in my head. The last couple of days, I haven't. The last couple of days, I've heard Ryo Hazuki from Shenmue going, I see. And it's just like, oh no, this is bad. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's one of those sort of memorable and uh, really campy way sort of things. Like, uh... It's easy to see how it was really impressive back in the day, but now it's this weird cultural artifact that uh, you get a lot of enjoyment out of watching other people stumble through. And uh, that's actually, before I started paying attention to the Shenmue run, I, uh, I've i seen lots of stuff about this um, Dreamcast game called Illbleed. It's the craziest horror game I've ever seen. Like, all the voice acting is Shenmue times 11. And you just go through all these various things where none of it's actually scary. You just walk around trying to avoid being scared by these pop-up... Basically, if you walk in the wrong place, something will jump out and take away some of your health. And... That sounds bad, and it is kind of bad, but the way that it's done is just so endearingly... There's some sort of sheen to it, like a Z-grade zombie movie or something like that. And uh, that's why I was kind of grinning every time Read Only Memories mentioned Hassie when I played it um, last year, because Hassie was the calling card of that particular developer. They put um, Hassy drinks for their health items in Blue Stinger and Illbleed and their other games. I, uh, I feel like I feel like the Dreamcast kind of felt like a second PS2 like more than, or sorry, a second PS1. And when I say that, what I mean is it felt like a lot of people doing, like, weird experiments with what you could do with 3D. You know? 
Like the the PS One had a lot of games where it was people figuring out like what what could you do with three D, what kind of games work in three D, and not really being that bound by normal ideas of what convention that like the genres were as much. And like you know with Dreamcast you get shit like Seaman. You get Jet Set Radio, which is, you know, eventually became more of a thing, but at the time was a pretty weird little game. You get, like, Space Channel 5. They really had some pretty fantastic little experiments on that thing. Yeah, and, uh, kind of, well, everyone always mentions, sad that it ended up, uh, expiring so quickly, but, you know, it'd been interesting to see what a what what it would look like if they had released their equivalent of the 360 or PS3 several years later and kept going yeah that that definitely would have been interesting uh i was not like as I, as i said at the start of this this section i didn't really spend a whole lot of time with an actual dreamcast i yeah i played a demo unit i played some ace combat game i think i played i played some kind of arcade combat flight sim um, in a GameStop for a little bit. But I've played a lot of those games, actually, as ports. I played, you know, I played some, you know, Sonic Adventure 2. I played, as I mentioned, uh, Space Channel 5, and, of course, Jet Set Radio. And I feel like a lot of those, like, it's a bummer that Sega isn't, that Sega doesn't, hmm, Sega, when it was trying to support its own console, came up with new IPs and and, and franchises that, as a third-party publisher, doesn't make as much sense for them anymore. And that's kind of of a bummer, because I really appreciated some of the stuff they put out. It wasn't always great, and I think a lot of that Dreamcast stuff felt kind of underdeveloped. Like, in retrospect, anyway. At the time, I bet it didn't. But, you know, going back to it, it's like, oh, you guys should have built this idea out more. Or I wish you'd been able to. Yeah, and with specific games too, like around that time, they were still they they were one of the few that were still simultaneously making and publishing home console games and making arcade games at the same time. So mm-hmm. several of those were just straight up ports of what they were doing in the arcades, like Crazy Taxi or House of the Dead or things like that. Yeah, Crazy Taxi, Crazy Taxi especially it felt. Like you know, it was just such a an unmodified arcade game in a way that was kind of jarring. It was like, wait, what? What do you mean I'm done? I didn't, I didn't lose the, the timer. What? No, stop. I. It was a game that it felt really weird. Yeah. At home, especially if especially if you go back to it now, because almost none of those brands are still around. And if they are, they look slightly different. Pizza Hut's still around. Yeah, but most of them aren't in those Pizza Hut-shaped buildings anymore. Is that true? Yeah, they phase them out over time. I think really? I heard it. Yeah. There's a whole 99% Invisible episode about that. But, yeah. Huh. Okay. Um. Anyway. We, we here at Scanlane Media... Love the Dreamcast from a distance. I think that's that's what we're what we're saying. <laughs> and I yeah. would like to, I would, I don't know, like you posted a thing today about like thinking about buying a Dreamcast, and that thought has occurred to me more than once. And I, I like I figure that actually to get the things I want, it would end up being really expensive and kind of a pain in the ass. But I kind of want to. Yeah, I uh, looked on. Well, GameStop actually sells refurbished Dreamcasts now. They have a whole retro line, but uh, mm-hmm. to get any of the really cult classic games, like uh, things like Skies of Arcadia and uh, Shenmue, Illbleed, all those various ones, they start around 50 or 60 on uh, eBay, and they can go up to the hundreds, basically. Yeah. I- I had a hard time seeing a Power Stone 2 copy that wasn't uh, 70 or 80 bucks. Oh yeah, Power Stone, like, specific... I, I don't know that much about the other ones, but Power Stone specifically, yeah, that game is, is treasured. <laughs> so that would be... That makes sense that it's expensive. I am not surprised that Shenmue's expensive either. Yeah. I don't know. Especially since the third one's right around the corner. Well, 
right around the corner. <laughs> it's, uh, it might take a while, but yeah. Yeah, but it, it appears to actually be happening. Yeah. I don't know, like, on, on, on this, on this, the 2016's Dreamcast Day, it feels like a good time to talk about going back to old things that you loved, you know? Like, we aren't, we aren't the group of people to talk to about, like, what it was like to play the Dreamcast at the time, because we don't know. We weren't at the, like, we were playing games at that time, we were not playing the Dreamcast. Um, but, you know, we all have games that we remember fondly and are, are going back to, and, uh, I don't know, for, we have a, a weird one in common, which is World of Warcraft, which, you know, I've, I've talked about previously on this podcast about Legion and that expansion and how much I'm enjoying it and going back to it. And you previously played, uh, WoW, like, not a lot, just, you know, just, just a little, honestly. Um, yeah. And now you're coming back to it again. Yeah, it's one of those things where I have this I've had this bad habit over the years where I'll buy an MMO at full price at launch. I'll play for a couple of weeks and because MMOs aren't my thing, the subscription the subscription will come up and I'm like, "Nah, I'm good." And uh I've done that for a number of ones that are considered decent as well as ones that were total stinkers and actually folded sometime after I stopped. Like, uh, I was one of the people who pre-ordered and played early copies of APB All Points Bulletin. And, uh, yeah, that that game had a really neat customization engine, and that was about it. (laughs) And, uh, I've had a number of World of Warcraft characters over the years, uh, some of them unfortunately named, uh, some of them just lazily named, and then uh, I guess it's one of those situations where nothing about MMOs in the past has really stuck with me, so I'll give it a shot because everyone else talks about it and seems to be having a good time with MMOs, but it never really... It never really grabs me the way it does with other people. And how are you? How are you finding your? I guess yeah, return to World of Warcraft. It's going a lot better this time. I'm not. I'm not entirely ready to say that I've caught the MMO bug, but I've seen enough interesting things in here that kind of broke my expectation of what World of World of Warcraft usually is. Because in the past I got stuck in some really mundane quests over and over. Like, there's no avoiding kill X amount of Y or those sorts of things. That's just the bread and butter sort of quests that you do in World of Warcraft. But there's enough. I mean, I was wandering around uh, basically going where the game seemed to be directing me. And I eventually found this small little riverside community that, for some reason, several of its characters seem to be named after characters from First Blood, the Rambo movie with uh, Sylvester Stallone, and it turns out it I stumbled into a whole quest line where you're doing things like uh, free, sneaking through a den of sleeping wolves in order to get a key, and... I accidentally knocked near one of the wolves one time, and that's just like an instant game over in the most hilarious way possible. All of them just piling on top of you. Yeah. And uh, then once you free all of the comrades, you take a fairy, which there's some mage in the back that's propelling your fairy by shooting fire out of his hands (laughs) like a motorboat. And then... You get this whole camouflage pack, and suddenly it's a stealth game. You have to sneak around them somewhat. You have an invisibility thing, but if you get too close to their vision, they'll figure it out. You're knocking them out with chloroform, and then eventually you're getting in a tank and drive and running over all these various orcs while the Rambo character on this turret is just yelling a bunch of PTSD lines, and that's just... 
It's such a weird, fascinating thing that I'm totally on board with for the entire time. Even after they were sadly all wiped out by one dragon. Which is kind of anticlimactic, but... It was super climactic. He was, like, hanging from the dragon's mouth, repeatedly stabbing it. Yeah, I suppose I suppose that was happening. I was kind of too focused trying to fight the dragon to... Oh, sorry. Just a heads up, uh, listeners. Like, it is not that Ben didn't stumble into a somewhat obscure part of World of Warcraft. It's just that I've played this game way too much. I'm going to know whatever, whatever he's referencing. <laughs> yeah, that and you have a remarkably good memory for this sort of thing. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah. It's like... It takes people off guard. And, and, and a, like, there are a lot of things about World of Warcraft that I don't... Rem- like, that are just... I'm so used to them that I can't imagine not knowing them. But, like, yeah, it catches people off guard. The weird referential humor that the game is fond of, for instance, as you as you discovered. There's a lot more of that kind of stuff, I can tell you. Not always as as drawn out as that joke was, but yeah, I and I was I extra wasn't prepared for it because I was I was one of the two here that saw the Warcraft movie and uh, it uh, it was completely poo faced. It was trying to be as Lord of the Rings as possible and was trying to be even more serious than Lord of the Rings at times. And to think it the actual source material is chock full of these random hey we love this movie so let's take you on a fun little journey that's totally caught me off guard caught me off guard and it's a I, i can imagine how it would be a really hard thing to work into a movie because like in in the games like they're always like they're usually kind of out of the way or they don't like there's sort of a clear delineation right like when you are up in Northrend doing your campaign against the ca- campaign against the Lich King with the Argent Crusade, there's not a lot of jokes going on up there. There are still some now and then, but like they usually they usually section off the jokes in such a way. Like that was an entire what like five or six quest chain of jokes of or one long joke depends on how you see it. It wasn't like that was a joke that was in the middle of a really serious quest line, you know? Yeah, it was. So- it was more like several hours, but yeah. Several hours? Yeah, it's... First you have to gather the sky's stuff, then you have to rescue each individual oh, yeah. Um, no, POW. Right. Yeah, it, there's a lot to it. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I, yeah, I've done that quest chain two or three times, and I just, you know, my memory makes it shorter, I guess, because everything in WoW takes so long. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's been weird because I've been seeing so many uh so many of my friends go back to the game, right? Like the the three friends that I originally started playing WoW with have gotten back into it. And uh like two of them harder than they ever did back in the day. And like not like crazy hard, but back in the day, like I would I would pop on to you know to play for the night and they'd pop on halfway through that and be like oh let's do a dungeon oh you're 30 levels higher than me and i'm like have you even been playing you know um back when we were we were kids and we had nothing but free time um and they're way more into it now than they were back then and one of my friends is is just as into it as he was back then which is in his case more troubling because boy he played way too much wow (laughs) um but it seems to be recapturing that old audience, and it's there's some stuff about WoW that will never change, right? And it's stuff that's weird and you don't expect, and I, I at this point find really charming, right? It's stuff like like I don't like weird little details, right? L- weird little animations, weird little like like oh, hang on, I have to sit down and eat before I can fight the next wave or like seeing someone and being like, "Oh, oh, that person's turning with their keyboard cuz they're moving like a weird robot." And it's, you know, just like the strangest little details that pop out to you and remind you of the past. <laughs> it's it's something coming back to it. I uh I have teased that I have a lot of stuff in the works as far as writing for World of Warcraft, and by the time this podcast goes up, I I should have an article up, the first one, um, 
talking about the artifact weapon system and, and sort of what that means for the future of WoW. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I uh, that's that's it's been a strange thing to come back to. Um, yeah, you came back to Shadow Complex, right? Yeah. Um, so there was a like sometime early this year and sometime between early this year and late last year, they Epic basically released a remastered version of Shadow Complex for PC, PS4, Xbox One, all that. I didn't really pay much attention because I already own it on 360, and uh nice thing about Xbox One is I can re-download it and play it on that. But uh I ended up seeing a announcement right at the nick of time that uh this company called Limited Run, basically what they do is that they take various indie games and they will uh, produce boxed copies of them when you would normally have to download them, essentially. Mm-hmm. And they make a very limited amount of them, thus limited run. So I am one of uh, 7,000 people who owns uh, a boxed copy of Shadow Complex. And... Uh, yeah, that was enough motivation because I really like. I remember really liking that game, and uh, figured it'd be a good time to both have some sort of thing to remember it by, and also just to j- dive back in. I uh, I played it a couple of years, like. For a lot of my time owning a 360, I didn't have access to Xbox Live for complicated reasons. Um, so I played it like two or three years after it came out, and I didn't understand the buzz at all. How ha- like I not like it didn't seem like it was bad. It just seemed thoroughly mediocre to me and not interesting, and I didn't understand. Um, I don't know how has it been going back to it. Well, I'm not entirely sure on timelines regarding this, but from what I can recall, Shadow Complex was the thing that uh, basically brought back uh, a Metroidvania style of uh, gameplay on a smaller scale that you see pretty often these days with stuff like Headlander and Axiom Verge and all that. Mm -hmm. And uh, going back to it has been both, wow, yeah, this is completely mechanically solid and this really amazing way, and the Shadow Complex itself is very sprawling and fun to explore, and you do various things within it that change it over the course of the game, like at some point you are being chased by this giant spider robot, and to defeat it, you basically flood the room until it's backed up against a wall, and it basically backs up against the ceiling, and it basically short circuits. And then you have to swim back through the area, and it turns out you flooded this entire basement thing, and you see all these dead guards floating around. And there's just really neat touches like that over time. Like, uh, you get to listen to dumb guard chatter. It's, it's some of the better guard chatter, actually, other than being a bit more expository than I would like. There's some fun bits about uh, trying to adjust the straps on their uniforms and things like that. And uh, ultimately, the weakest part so far has been realizing just how dumb the whole story is. <laughs> like, uh, I mentioned this on Twitter earlier, but uh, the game basically starts with you, a prologue, playing a different character in DC you basically get into this high-tech mech suit and, uh... Well, power suit, more like, and load, blow up this Apache helicopter. But then it turns out, oh no, this armor you took from the enemy was booby-trapped, and you're electrocuting as you watch... As you're talking to the guy, and he's like, oh, you mean you rescued this vice president? And then you see an explosion in the background... <laughs> And then before it cuts to the titles, it's like, you're not the only pawn on this chessboard. And it's like, uh, this writing. And I guess it's, ri- it's written by a famous uh, 
in a famous homophobic sci-fi writer, Orson Scott Card, who mm-hmm. did Ender's Game and all that. And you get it, you start to see a bit of that sort of rah-rah America sort of thing you, you expect from those types. Like uh, when you first come up, you, when you first find a gun, it basically does a flashback to your father basically scolding you for not joining the military. And he's like, someday you're going to find something that you is worth fighting for. And yeah, it, it's that kind of thing. I'm going to go ahead and say that any any work of fiction that includes the death of the vice president as a dramatic, important moment is probably too patriotic. And it's at the very beginning, too. It's like in the first five minutes. Time to dead, pres- dead vice president. That's the new time to create. <laughs> but yeah, it's... Overall, it's this really... It's the thing that uh, the people who made who became eventually famous for Infinity Blade made before that. And uh, it, it, has very, it has very similar stylish UI, and the parts of playing it itself, completely ignoring the story, are fantastic. So I still think it holds up pretty well in that regard. I mean, I guess part of... I don't know. One of the things that has happened with a lot of modern... I'll say Metroidvania, I think that's a dumb term, but um, a lot of modern Metroidvanias is I just, I don't, like, a lot of what made Metroid really cool to me was I think Samus is a cool character, and I think all of the stuff around her suit and its powers are both cool and, like, in the universe makes sense. And... There are some more modern Metroidvanias that that do similar things or do their own spin on it in ways that I appreciate. But I've there are a decent number of them that are just like here's your here's your version of you know the arm cannon. It's a fucking nine millimeter gun, and I'm just like I. <laughs> Part of like you know they don't always do this. I don't think Shadow Complex did this, for instance. This, so this is sort of an unfair critique in this place, but like when you lift like the the metroid shooting a door to open it mechanic and it's a fucking pistol it starts to feel weird but also it just starts to make the whole like metroidvanias on, on their whole their whole thing is they're kind of they're really great level design at the expense of logic sometimes and you have to be willing to suspend some disbelief right yeah and the more realistic you make it the harder it is to do that yeah, I, I could see that. That's 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 actually one of the reasons why I'm still interested in checking out Headlander sometimes because that seems like the right level of ridiculous and a nice enough twist on abilities. Like instead of upgrading this one person over and over, you're actually swapping heads to get different parts to solve different problems, and that sounds like a neat way to go about that. Yeah, yeah. I think I think there needs to be some elements of the fantastic for this like this environment in which it's a nightmare to get anywhere to make any sense you know yeah like it's fine like the one okay the one time i can think of off the top of my head where it really worked that it was like a fairly realistic environment mostly um and yet the stuff made sense was batman arkham asylum um, and that was because you were going places that, like, it's it didn't have the Laura Croft problem, right? Where it's like, you have to, like, use your climbing axe and climb this spire and jump across this bridge to get to a walkway. And then be like, how was anyone supposed to get up here? How did they build this? <laughs> um, which, again, in, in that in Laura Croft, I'm kind of willing to, to wave my hand about that. Because it's like, I mean, you know, fucking also there's someone with a statue that makes them immortal. Who cares, right? Um but in batman like just getting around like the base floor of the asylum was actually usually not that hard unless there was some you know some strange event making it difficult like gas or monstrous plant vines or whatever but like but you didn't need to just get around on the ground floor you needed to, to use the upper areas you needed to get through secret passageways and stuff so you didn't get shot and that made sense um but generally i feel like a lot of a lot of more modern Metroidvanias don't give as much thought to making it 
feel logical. I don't think it needs to be logical, but it needs to feel logical. Even later Batman games have their problem. Like, uh, yeah. it it made sense to me that uh, Batman wouldn't go in fully looted in Arkham Asylum because he's just dropping the Joker off. He's just he's just dropping someone off here, and then is like, all right, later. But then mm-hmm. he basically has to stay over for the night, and of course he's gonna he didn't bring everything with him, so he'll need stuff dropped now and again. But with stuff like Arkham. City in Arkham Knight, he is specifically going in directly from his Wayne Tech Tower. And in fact, well, Arkham City is the whole thing where he kind of hides the bat suit somewhere else. So I guess that could also be he had yeah, to it's travel. Ki- it's kind of it's kind of weak in Arkham City, but it technically works. You're like, oh, I you're like, I guess I'll give you this one, right? Yeah, and, and you're still sort of trapped in this area where you can't leave. And, uh, meanwhile, with Arkham Knight, you have Wayne Tech right above there. How it, how is, uh, how is Lucius building things? Lucius is either building things overnight, or you're just not bothering to go in fully prepared, which means that you're kind of an idiot for this. Well, I guess you'd have to be some sort of idiot to be someone dressed like that, but that's, and doing Wait, that stuff. Whoa, but... whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> You are not claiming that you'd have to be an idiot to dress up like a metal-clad bat. That's just dope. <laughs> that that would be like how that would be like casual Fridays if if fucking work places didn't suck. Everyone would go to work dressed like an armored bat. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Diplomatic choosing your fights. Okay. All right. Yeah, I don't know. I I couldn't get part of what I what I couldn't get into about Shadow Complex was setting a Metroidvania in such a realistic context makes it being a Metroidvania feel really weird to me. Yeah, it's well, it, it's one of those things where as you go over time, things get a bit more fantastical. Like you're fighting against mechs, and uh, you get things like a glue gun that can, uh, well, glue grenades that can freeze people or robots and things like that and it can make vents explode through the cold pressure mm. and uh okay that sounds yeah i didn't get that far like i i think the only boss i fought like i remember getting like getting a ways through and i had my handgun and i was like okay sure like this is a this is an orson scott card thing and i don't like that guy very much but he's he's into sci-fi and this will get like I've just got a pistol because I'm a scrappy guy getting by, and my next, you know, my next upgrade will be like a weird plasma rifle or something, right? And then I beat a boss, and it was like, oh man, here's my big new weapon, frag grenades. And I was like, <laughs> okay, this is stupid. <laughs> yeah, well, and also to be fair, most of the bot, I think almost all of the bosses are different types of robots. That's so true. that's that's kind of, it's not very imaginative in that regard, but. Boston Dynamics. Robots are fantasy. (laughs) Look around you people. Wake up. (laughs) They still make you fight them in uh, different ways. And also, I I kind of like this touch. um, Lots of the times when you end up killing a boss robot, the henchman driving it will pop out of the hatch and you have to take him out too. (laughs) And it was also kind of... The one kind of the one other bit of writing that I found kind of amusing was a quarter of the way through. The character voiced by Nolan North basically goes, "Am I uh, have I gone too far already? After you've killed like 150 people, and he pauses for three seconds, he goes, "Nah, I'm good." <laughs> okay, sure. Uh, yeah. I don't know the uh, the other game that I have gone back to is uh, Terraria actually because I mean because last night I was looking for something to play to talk about on this podcast honestly <laughs> um, and I poked at a few things and I just was not feeling it for a lot of them and then I noticed that in my downloads there was a Terraria patch um, and I was like is that and I looked it up and I was like oh yeah there's another like not like a bug fix patch, like a content patch for Terraria, because they keep putting them out, and I just, like, they've supported that game for so long, so extensively, that it's kind of crazy, right? Um, yeah, and uh, just to 
clarify, it's ter- Terraria is basically a 2D um, side-scrolling take on the Minecraft formula of. Uh, but it's not. Yeah, like you're not. You're not like. You're not wrong, wrong, but you're wrong, and that's like describing Terraria to a person. Like, okay. Unless you're being flip and just trying to get the conversation over with, if you're trying to actually do a job of it, describing Terraria to someone who hasn't played Terraria, you kind of sound like a crazy person. Because it's like, it initially presents as being a 2D Minecraft, and then you're like, oh wait, no, it's a, it's sort of like, it's more like a side-scrolling, like, kind of like RPG beat-em-up thing. Oh, oh wait, no! It's more like a like a building a tech race game, and then there's magic, and then you can get a unicorn, and the game is just what it has that Minecraft doesn't. Is there are so many layers of different crazy things on top of the building, um, and that's part of what makes it really crazy to go back to it because like I my character is still there. If I wanted, I could just pick up my old character, right? Mm-hmm. But I was mostly playing on a server that's been shut down now, um, and so I, w- I could take my character and my progress into a new world, and I may end up doing that at some point, but it would feel kind of weird. So I started a new character, and I'm there with my my wooden pickaxe and my wooden short sword and my wooden axe, and I'm building a really basic log cabin and hiding from zombies. And, like, literally the last time I played this game... I was flying around with, like, steam-powered wings with a flaming grappling hook, summoning dragons from the moon and shooting homing fireballs. Wow. And it's just, like, it's it's so weird to be reminded of how humble this game starts. And when I say humble, I don't mean humble like this game doesn't have an ego, because that's not relevant. But, like, humble in the fact, like, you start out, like, you know poor as shit you don't have any tools you don't have any anything and you don't have any idea of what's coming because the game gets so crazy um and it's kind of bittersweet coming back to it because a lot of my memories are associated with a friend i don't have anymore and time i spent with them um but i don't know i terraria is supposed to get a sequel it was supposed to come out this year and they're taking their time and I'm really glad they're taking their time but I also really want it to come out and I don't know that that game is magical more people should play it and play it if you can play it with a friend play it on days where it's like you come home from work and you just want to chill out and poke at something for an hour or two with a friend it's amazing for that so uh does it have some sort of to get to that other crazy point does does it have a story of any sort because not 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 really sort of sort of um so you're on this island right Mm -hmm. and then this game the game quickly forgets that you're on an island because it doesn't matter um because if if it remembered that you were on an island then you know pretty quickly you'd be able to build a boat and leave and that's not in the game at all you can't you can't leave um but basically you're on an island and it's and there's corruption which is like what it sounds like it's a corrupting force that is turning the world into bad world um and i think they eventually added in like a different type of corruption and when you roll your world there's like a 50 50 chance of which type of corruption you'll have in it um old corruption or the crimson and basically and then there are monsters and then there are bosses and you fight the bosses to try and get rid of the corruption but in so doing you actually bring about like worse stuff it's like it doesn't have a story it just has a logical sort of old school progression where you're like oh of course I fight this boss and so I fight this next boss and no one told me to do that it's just sort of like oh of course that's what I do it's it's hard to describe but it feels right in context it's like it's like it is in minecraft that's one area where it is like minecraft right where it's like it doesn't tell you to do any of this stuff but it's there so you do it yeah that's a very natural that's a very old school sort of uh first legend of zelda style 
Exactly. Way to that's, go. that's a good comparison. Thank you. And I'll touch I'll touch briefly on the other game that I played, uh, which is just I played some some Cook Serve Delicious, which is a game I'm a big fan of, um, which is also in the field of games that's supposed to get a sequel very soon that I'm pretty excited for. Um, yeah, I I don't have a lot to say about Cook Serve Delicious. I wrote an article a long time ago about it, but like, if you haven't played Cook Serve Delicious and you want you know, if you're ready for a slightly frantic good time, play some Cook Serve Delicious. It's just a really fast-paced, sort of like almost warrior-weary game about running a restaurant, and it's just really good. It's just really fun, very simple, very enjoyable. Yeah, I'd say that the key thing that differentiates it from WarioWare is that you're expected to... Well, the mini-games themselves don't really change in terms of the order, or how exactly you go about them. It's more like you change them up ever so slightly to make up for the differences in what people are ordering. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's not any... I wouldn't say it's any worse than what WarriorWare does. It's just a different way of handling that sort of minigame because it's about... It's basically about taking a job and learning it very well, more or less. Yeah, like WarriorWare is a game that's inherently about chaos and trying to cause chaos. And Cook Serve Delicious is a game that is actually quite like structured and orderly in how it presents things. It just presents them with a time pressure and enough tasks that it leads to you <laughs> causing chaos. <laughs> because, yeah. yeah, when the game gets going, I don't know. Like it's funny to go back and listen, look at that old like giant bomb quick look, which is how me and a lot of other people got turned on to that game. Um, because Ryan Davis is playing that and like like rush hour starts and he just starts panicking and falling apart and like you legitimately get really good at that game playing it like you wouldn't think it but it genuinely like it genuinely teaches you how to play it like better and better and watching him play that stuff like I could almost do what he does in that with my eyes closed at this point <laughs> it's just kind of it's hilarious how much harder that games get get how <laughs> how much harder that game gets as you go yeah did you what do you think of that whole battle chef thing that they added to it? Um, I didn't really get... I, I did some of like the, the weekly challenge stuff and things, and that was kind of fun. But um, I didn't ever get to try the uh, the multiplayer. I have uh, some friends who, who say it's really good. But, you know, it's, it's, it's couch multiplayer, right? There's no online functionality for it. And so I haven't had an opportunity. Oh, dang. And also, I'd smoke anyone I met. Like, what's even the point? <laughs> Nobody can touch me. <sighs> anyway. What else have you gone back to? Uh, I've, uh... Well, they recently... In the lead-up for Forza Horizon 3, they made uh, Forza Horizon 1 their new Games with Gold. Kind of like PlayStation Plus, but for Xbox... Mm-hmm. And I've sunk a whole lot of time into Forza Horizon 2. Like, uh, I think I checked recently and my total game time is like over two days. And uh, and I'm still like only 37% complete with all the events. Mm-hmm. And uh, Forza Horizon 1 is a very different sort of game. It's It's still very much the sort of the setting is basically you're in this gigantic fantasy sort of uh, race event where all the racing happening is sort of legal. And uh, you basically spend a lot of time not only getting to first in these souped-up cars, but also being showy about it by successfully doing drifts and... uh, cleanly passing other racers and occasionally bumping into them to get ahead. And uh, the second one is a lot more... second one is a lot more Burning Man than that sort of idea of that. Like, it's kind of uh, this... Uh, that's a troubling image. It, it's kind of like this... You know, like the San Francisco thing. But yeah, it's it's basically the sort of... What I've oh, heard not, of it... Not, hmm? well. I mean, what do you mean the San Francisco thing? Uh, 
I've just heard about this thing in California that tech people are pretty into. And uh, do you used not to know what Burning Man actually is? It's this thing where people go out in the desert and they have these crazy tents and they dress up crazily and they do lots of drugs and it is fucking. It's in Nevada, for the record. Yeah, but. I guess. I guess the way I'm trying to describe it, it's more like a. It's more like a really positive version of that. More like just this thing that has structure to it, but also they're pretty like, oh yeah, hey, just point yourself over to this race, and oh, that's great, you did well. Now let's go on to the next race. And do they burn an effigy of the man? That would be the best. Uh, no. <laughs> By the way, that's a big part of, of that's that is why it is called Burning Man is because there's a big wooden man that they light on fire and like gather around and fucking burning man is creepy as shit (laughs) yeah (laughs) oh yeah that sounds weird but yeah um what i'm basically trying to get at is forza horizon 2 is more of a happy-go-lucky take on a sort of music festival sort of thing except for cars while the first forza horizon is while it's still a festival and everyone's still racing and things like that they actually have characters in it, like named characters that are showing up in cutscenes and are these very different sort of stereotypes. Like one of them's this mathy street racer who keeps trying to talk you into doing illegal street racing, which you can every once in a while. And uh, there's this other person who's basically this showboaty sort of star that who usually does reality shows where he completely wrecks. And he's just buying his way to the top so he can wreck cars in front of a really big audience, even though you're here to race. And you're surrounded by a bunch of people that are kind of jerks, but in this really sort of need-for-speed-esque way. And as someone who has been kind of jonesing for a good need-for-speed game, and also is constantly yearning for more of that Project Gotham racing style, realistic cars, but unrealistic handling and focusing on basically showing off during a race. It's this really nice medium. It even has an achievement called Kudos to You, and uh, Kudos was the thing you earned when you played Project Gotham racing. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's currency system. Yeah. So, like... As a person who's who's played like who's played two and and enjoyed a lot of two, like does going back to one like do you do you feel it's regression? Like do you feel like mechanically it's not as sound or? Um, I'd say the biggest regression from from going from the newer one to the older one is more graphics. Like it's still a pretty good looking game, but. It's kind of a smaller scope. You don't really, you don't really get to go as off road as you do in Forza Two. Like you're very much stuck on these specific roads, more or less. And uh, but there's something I kind of like about the structure of one a bit more than two because one just gives you a bunch of one gives you a bunch of objectives and different ways to complete them. Well, different orders. And, uh... So, basically, you can be in a series of races trying to earn your next wristband. But while you're in that race, you might just hit the peak of, uh... The next milestone for your showboating sort of points. And that will unlock a race between yourself and an airplane. And, uh... So you go do that before you cash in for your next wristband level races. And And uh, what are the wristbands? It's basically the way they do difficulty or ranking. So basically at the beginning you have to prove that you're ready for the festival by earning one of the few places that... I mean, earning one of the entry level wristbands that are in high demand. And then is this for, like is this like the racing version of like your belts in karate? If it was time sensitive and there were a limited amount to give out, and it was one of those sorts of all so or if karate nothing, was better. 
Yeah, I guess if karate was better. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean, like this actually like I don't I don't have any I have the original the original Xbox, the Xbox 1 with a period on it, right? Mm-hmm. Um but other than that, I don't have any Xboxes anymore. But if I did, I mean, this would actually sound pretty fun as a person who doesn't even like racing games very much. So, yeah, um well, you may get a chance because um Forza Horizon 3 is coming out to PC as well. So, hey. Yeah. Hopefully it, there'll be another pseudo burning man in this one. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, this one takes anyone takes place in Australia, so they could do some neat stuff with that. Where the real crazies are. <laughs> All right. Well, I think I mean <clears throat> You know, I want to touch on just real quick. Um one of the things that has been has been kind of an experience for me living with my nephew upstairs, well, my nephews, but only one of them really cares about video games, so only one of them is, is very relevant to this podcast. Um, and I've been having him play, like, not been having him, he asks to play, and I say, sure, um, a lot of Super Nintendo games, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not averse to him playing other things, but... Uh, I don't have a lot on like my PS4 which was the console that was hooked up that is is playable and also three like for little kids like a lot of 3D stuff is actually pretty hard. The dual analog controller is hard to use if you're not used to all that stuff. Um but anyway, I've been having him play, you know, whatever whatever he feels like playing. Like I introduced his hub to introduced him to some things specifically, but now it's just whenever he picks up a cart, I'm like, "Sure. We can give it a shot." Um, and I'm really, like, unreasonably perhaps pleased that one of the games he's gotten into a lot is, uh, I think it's, oh no, I don't want to get this name wrong, um, X-Men Mutant Apocalypse for the Super Nintendo, which is the first console game I ever played. Oh wow, that's pretty neat. (laughs) Yeah, um, I like I picked that game up for cheap because I was like, I really want to own this because it was the game that made me go like, hey, maybe this, maybe this Nintendo thing's all right, you know. Um, and I had a couple of things that I have discovered through him going back to it and be him occasionally like holding out the controller and saying, "You help," and I'm like, "Okay, sure." <laughs> um, one, that game's actually pretty good. Like, it's lucky that the first console game I played actually wasn't garbage. <laughs> um, it's like, it's a side-scrolling beat-em-up game where you can play as one of five different classic X-Men made by Capcom. And it has, like, Street Fighter inputs for some of your moves and stuff. Um, and also, it's just, like... It's weird seeing him, like, switch from character to character. And, like like one day all he would play was Wolverine, right? And then another day he was convinced that Cyclops was the coolest and now he's been on a gambit tear recently. Oh. And it's it's just it's kind of adorable and touching, you know, cuz like I mean even if you don't have any particular connection with this game, I am assuming if you listen to this podcast, if you're listening to this gaming podcast by these two nerds, <laughs> you have <laughs> some level of history with you know comic books and like you know the x-men and it's just kind of it's a really nice thing when the things that you cared about as a kid still resonate with kids you know totally yeah um i'm i'm glad that you're doing it this way instead of the weird i'm gonna make them choose exactly the same way that i grew up and limit them that way i'm glad that's more like this way of uh him choosing the one that uh, ended up working out the best. Yeah, well, and part of it is also like, I mean, he's my nephew. He's not my kid. I'm his uncle. I don't, I don't, I don't need to control his life. Um, but also, I mean, like today we actually had some some bad luck, right? Which is he got really interested in the copy of Final Fantasy three, which is also Final Fantasy six. Blah 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 blah. Um, but he picked that up because he liked, you know, the sticker on it, and I was like, ooh. This is, uh, like, I knew that this was not going to go well, but, you know, he wanted to play it, so I popped it in, and he was bored out of his mind. Because, uh, so far, all JRPGs. It's just like, nope, I want I want action, I want to press buttons and stuff happens. Um, 
which I I understand as an adult. I still understand that feeling, but <laughs> yeah. Also, did, also swinging a whiff on Super Mario RPG. Did Zelda not go well then? Zelda went amazingly. He loves Zelda. I see. He loves. Uh, I mean, it's linked to the past, but like, there's not that much talking before they let you just wander around and cut things with a sword. So that went over great. Kirby. He likes Kirby. Anyway, I'll we'll keep you posted when there's amazing developments with what my nephew loves. <laughs> but anyway, you got anything else you want to touch on? Hmm. Um. Let's see. I guess I could, uh... I'm, I'm working... Did I mention the Turing test last time? No. Yeah, I, I, I guess I had bought it on the... A few days after we recorded the last one. Um, I've been playing the Turing test a bit. Well, I finished it. So I'm working on a review of sorts for it right now. It's, it's one of those interesting sort of games that you don't see... I guess you're seeing more often because of the indie scene, so... We've reached a point where 3D tools are prevalent enough that you're kind of seeing the same sort of double-A publications you'd see in the past. Like, uh... It has a lot of really neat ideas. It's just that the execution isn't there all the time. Mm -hmm. It's kind of this weird thing where they're really good at making certain things, but not so great at others, so... When you start the game, you end up stepping into this sort of pod to shoot you into Europa, the moon of Jupiter, I believe. And uh, the pod itself is incredibly beautiful. And once you get into the actual base, it's just a bunch of cube portal-like rooms where you're using a you're using a energy gun to solve puzzles and move on to the next room as a test sort of thing. Except the thing that makes it sort of interesting is it's not the AI that's uh, making the tests. It's actually the people who were already down there. And they have a very specific reason that they want to basically gate people from getting further using these tests. And uh, Are they trying to prove a thesis? Or, like, do they, like... I, I guess, like, if it's not too big of a spoiler, why are they doing this? Um, the why is kind of a big it's part a of it, spoiler? but, okay, but that's I, fine. a good way of, I, I feel like there might still be a way of putting it, like, uh, they basically, it's called the Turing Test, and they basically want to keep something out, more or less, and keep themselves inside. Okay. Okay. That's yeah. I think I think that's plenty. Um uh, like are the puzzles really well what what parts of it do you think really work and what parts are are kind of fumbling? I'd say that the parts that really work so far, I mean, the parts that uh, really stuck out to me were I really like the voice performance of the main AI character. He's Tom, uh, tool assistant, T, T something, automated machine, and, uh, I'm totally bungling the acronym there, but he does this very interesting performance that is a bit more nuanced in its take of, uh, it grows in a way that you see in very well voice-directed games. And uh, I'd say you really get to learn interesting things about the crew. But the way that you learn some of that stuff is they hide some pretty important backstory in some of these secret... uh, Well, they're not secret because they show up every sixth or seventh room. You'll get a room off to the side with an extra hard puzzle. But they keep some pretty important audio logs behind those rooms. And, uh... At at first, it was just... The first two are like, oh, here's this fun little Easter egg, or we're gonna mess with the player in a certain way if they get to the end of that. But by my fourth room, I had stumbled in, and I was like, wait a minute, this is... This seems like pretty important plot stuff. It, I don't get why you put it right here. 
And uh, I guess that and the puzzles can be a bit more finicky than I like sometimes because skirting around spoilers again at some point, you get to this new mechanic that's basically around line of sight. And it can be this very sort of finicky puzzle solving where you have to inch yourself in just the right place so you can see one item and then look at a, use that item to look at a different item. But if you mess up the alignment, you basically have to go back to where you originally were, shuffle things around just a little bit, and then try it again. And Hmm. basically, the thing that kind of bugs me with first-person puzzle games like this is when you know the solution, but actually executing it can be can be kind of fidgety, more or less, and Mm. this has a bit of that in some disappointing ways. And also just some of the production values, like you'll see this beautiful thing in one corner, and then the other thing looks like... The other thing looks like they either didn't make it themselves, and they... There's nothing wrong with sort of buying assets or anything like that, but it just doesn't meld with the rest of the world's look. Like the style and everything? Yeah. And then there's this whole thing of just, since it's an Unreal 4 engine game, you can pick items up and spin them around for no discernible reason. So it's one of those things where you're trying to look for clues and then you're accidentally picking up a the exact same pencil for the 50th time. And it's like, I'd rather... I, I was able to pick this up in the other room, just glue it to the surface for now or something. So I don't have it feels to keep... Like, it feels like it has a lot of red herrings. Red herrings with what you can look at, yeah. Not so much with what's going on, because it's it's pretty clear about what's going on as you go on. But, uh, yeah, it's... And also, it does that thing that you really don't like from Zero Time Dilemma and some of the other Zero Escape games, where it will explain a theory to you over and over and over, and sometimes really obvious theories, like... Does it get them wrong? I wouldn't say it gets them wrong, but it explains... Then it's better than Zero Escape. <laughs> like, at some point, one of the things that you find is just a series of actual academic papers discussing this concept that you've already had explained to you three times. And it's like, I guess this is sort of interesting, but I'd rather have just searched this out on my own instead of you once again reminding me what this is and what's ex- what its significance is. Oh well, I uh, so like. In conclusion, do you recommend it? Yeah. How it's many? A... Okay. How many stars out of five? <laughs> give it a Metacritic rating. <laughs> I give it seventeen halibuts out of ten. But uh, more how seriously, how many halibuts are in the game? Zero halibuts. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, then you give it zero halibuts. Come on, let's be objective here. But yeah, I guess it's one of those right. things where it's. If you're into Portal and those sorts of games, and you like sci-fi, like uh, Ex Machina, or any of those other sorts of stories, it's a fun, like, five or six hours to push yourself through. The puzzles aren't hard at all, so you'll basically get from the beginning to end and have a cute little story and a, a nice end considering everything that came before it. I really like the way they tie it together. All right. Well, it seems like a, a solid recommendation to people who are interested in that sort of thing. It's probably, like, it's not like the pinnacle of the genre. But, you know, if you like those fans of the genre, god damn it. Okay, we're terrible. Good night, everybody. Uh, this has been another episode of Scanline Status. Uh, you can find us on iTunes, part of the Scanline Presents feed, where you could give us a rating or review that would really uh, help us move up the ranks, get some more people's eyes and ears which would be cool for us. If you want to look at some of the articles and and videos and stuff that we put out ourselves, you can go to scanlinemedia.com. I should have that World of Warcraft article out by the time this goes up, hopefully. And uh, if you want to uh, 
you know, help us cover more stuff, you can go to patreon.com slash Media. We want to give a big thank you to the Patreons we do have, by the way. We don't say that often enough. We're really grateful for the support, and we're able to do some, some pretty cool stuff because of it. Um, and uh, if you... Mm, I'm probably going to edit this part out because my brain just stopped. <laughs> if you have any questions or, or, or comments or stuff you want to maybe get read on air you can send me a message at at 6264 on twitter um i might start a uh i don't know a tumblr i don't ask dot fm i don't know one of those things where you can just submit questions really easily so we can get some stuff on air i, don't I think know. i think the popular thing right now is curious cat dot me but okay well fuck that that sounds terrible <laughs> um yeah i think that's it for us here uh you got any shit you want to plug ben um well, I'm get, like I said a bit earlier. I'm I'm gonna try and get a uh, Turing test article out uh, sometime like this week. All right, wonderful. Uh, we'll uh, look forward to that. And also, just a heads up, folks, we're still experimenting with the format of this podcast. We've decided to go weekly and and be a little more serious about this one. And uh, we're still figuring out how exactly we want to do this. Ideas are great, but expect the show to change for the better as we go. Thanks for listening. Have a good night.